Hi, everyone. Good to have you today on the Key to Connection podcast. So I have to tell you, Esty did say that today's episode is her favorite so far, and I think I have to agree. And I think you'll all agree as well once you hear from our speaker, Victoria Haney. She is a very captivating person. She's just one of those people who, once you meet her, you immediately like her. She's very smiley, funny, intelligent, and she um, truly has a great story to tell, and her message is so important. Victoria is a mother of three. She is a wife. She is a stroke survivor, and she is living with aphasia and with apraxia of speech. Before we get into today's episode, Esty and I wanted to talk a little bit about what these disorders are and how speech-language pathologists can work with these disorders. So aphasia, as we talked about in our first episode, is the loss of language after a stroke or brain injury. So it can look very different in different people. It could be as um, mild as occasional word-finding difficulties and as severe as being nonverbal or saying single words or even stereotypical utterances where somebody is saying a nonsense word over and over. But um, So it looks very different for different people. Aphasia does impact speaking, listening, reading, and writing. So all of those modalities can be affected to different degrees. Um, So somebody might be nonverbal, but they might be able to write. Um, so it looks different for different, for everybody who has aphasia, no two person looks the same. And then apraxia of speech is a motor planning disorder where you have the word in your head, you're going to say the word, but your, the planning of your muscles doesn't line up to say it correctly. And so every attempt to say the same word might sound differently. So you might say telescope, spellscope, smell coke, like that. Um, speech language pathologists can play a role in both of these disorders. And um, specifically for aphasia, there are different approaches you can take. My experience has primarily been in the life participation approach to aphasia. So this has led me to meet Victoria where her and I worked on getting back to work as a nurse. That was her main goal. So because we were doing that life participation approach to aphasia with Victoria. We were also focused on getting her back to work as a nurse, um, but we uh, were working to get her more involved in her community and in her family and with her friends. So getting her as much communication practice as possible in her daily life. So we were doing things such as connecting her with one of her old coworkers so they could talk about work and practice that vocabulary together. Uh, We were doing things such as creating a book club between her and her mom phone calls between her and her brother. So that way she was um, participating in more of life. And again, our main goal was getting her back to work. So that's primarily what we focused on as well. As speech language pathologists, Izzy and I have both worked with a number of people that have aphasia and apraxia. Speech therapists can benefit people who have aphasia or people who have survived a stroke from the day of their stroke all the way up until years after their stroke they can continue to make progress and speech therapists are able to work with people kind of um throughout their different stages of recovery and ultimately the goal at each stage is to maximize functional communication yeah esty that's a really good way to put it and i wanted to also highlight how during speech therapy, we can 
uh, use both rehabilitation and compensatory strategies to help somebody with their speech and language skills. So for rehabilitation, I'm really talking about when you're kind of hacking the brain and you're utilizing neuroplasticity and you're making the brain work to really retrieve those language skills or retrieve those speech sounds. So the brain is firing and it's reactivating those areas that were damaged by the stroke or brain injury. So in the case of returning to work as a nurse, you might need to work on documentation. So things like spelling and writing in an efficient manner. So for um, for that, you, for rehabilitation of spelling skills, you would use a strategy called CART or ACRT, where you have letters and the person with aphasia needs to manipulate those letters so that they're in the correct order. And then they would write the word five times. So this is actually activating the brain for them to be uh, spelling that word independent, independently as the goal. Um, and then on the other side, you have compensatory strategies. And these are sort of like the workarounds, the things that you can use to make spelling, reading, writing, listening, speaking a little bit easier. So for the same example of documentation, a compensatory strategy might just be to have that list of very difficult words to spell on your phone. So when you're in the middle of documenting, you can retrieve that list and uh, copy down the word that you're looking for. So that's a compensatory strategy. So we do do um, both of those things and you'll hear Victoria reference her strategies in this episode and that is what she means. So there is no one better to talk about aphasia and apraxia than somebody who actually has it. That's why we're so honored to welcome Victoria today. We can't wait for you to hear this episode and let's dive in. Okay. Um, Okay. Can I have the candy? Sure. Can I have a piece of strawberry licorice? Sure. Yay! Just Yay! go. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> um, Tyler's out there. I was like, Tyler, watch him. And they're coming in my room. <laughs> so. Okay, so we're recording so we can get started. Okay. Victoria, we're so excited to have you here. I've known you for a few years and I'm so lucky to know you, but can you tell other people a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm happy to be here too. Uh, about myself? Um, uh, I'm a mom of three. Um, I am a wife. I'm a nurse. Um, I'm a stroke survivor. And I like to travel and hike. Just diving into your stroke, um, I would love for you to tell people a little bit about your stroke story. Okay. Um, I was uh, 31 and I was pregnant. And um, I remember a few times I had these uh, really bad migraines, which is really unusual for me because sometimes I get a headache. I take a Tylenol and it goes away. I've never had migraines before. Um, so I would have these really bad migraines and all of a sudden I couldn't see, um, which is, that's, that's sign of something's going on. But of course I was working a really weird shift. I worked from like 3 AM to 3 PM. So, and I was very, very pregnant at this time. I was like 33, 32 weeks almost like seven and a half months. And I was getting like four hours of sleep 
and I was working like three shifts in a row and we're really busy. So I was like, it's probably because I'm so tired and not um, getting enough sleep. And then I remember one time I was reading to Olivia, who was four. And um, all of a sudden I was reading, reading, reading. And all of a sudden I couldn't read any of the uh, the words. Um, I I knew I saw there was words. And I remember Olivia's like, mom why aren't you reading? And in my head, I was like, I know those words, but I, I can't say them. And I, my husband came home from work probably like 15 minutes later. And I was like, told my husband, no medical experience. I was like, TJ, I'm having a stroke. He's like, no, you're not. What are you talking about? Your face is fine. I was like, are you sure? He's like, your face is fine. I was like, TJ, I, I cannot read this. And then all of a sudden I was able to read it. He's like, you're just too tired. You should go take a nap. <laughs> so I was like okay you're probably right I didn't take a nap but I was like okay I was able and then I went back and I, I was able to read so I was like okay maybe it was so I'm pretty sure uh those are probably probably symptoms probably like a TA or something like that so then um for I had McKenna I was full term you know and I had McKenna we went home and I was putting in the car seat for her um, what's it called her first doctor's appointment, you know, and my whole right side went numb. Um, and Olivia was out there with me and she asked what was wrong. I said, I didn't want to worry here. I was like, it's okay. It's probably I'm in a weird position. Um, I just have to get out of the car. So I got out of the car, fell to the ground and my eyes were closed and I couldn't move my body. So Olivia came out to the car, asked me, is that okay? I wasn't able to respond at all. So then she went and got my husband. He was supposed to go to work, but he said he wanted to take today off to go to McKenna's appointment. Good thing. <laughs> so um, he was able to call um, 911. The paramedics came. They thought I was unconscious, but the thing I could hear everybody. And they tried to like see if I was like awake. They did like chest rub. And I, I remember them like, putting on a tourniquet to give me an IV. And in my head, I was like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. Don't take me to the hospital. <laughs> and they're like, I remember I could hear uh, my neighbors came. TJ got them because we're really close to them. They watched the girls. I could hear uh, my neighbor being upset. I could ask Olivia. Olivia's like, what's wrong with mom? What's wrong with mom? And I, I just couldn't answer. So I went to the first hospital. They gave me TPA which is a clot buster. And I was able to open my eyes, but I still wasn't able to respond. Um, and uh, I still wasn't able, they were giving me like commands, but I still wasn't able to like to do their commands because um, with my arms and stuff. So then um, they did another scan and my clot went to my frontal lobe. So first it was on my temporal lobe and it went to my frontal lobe. So I was helicoptered to TMC where I got a thrombectomy and then, um, my neurologist came in and told me I had a massive stroke. Mm. That's what happened. <laughs> and I was diagnosed with uh, apraxia and aphasia. Mm -hmm. So I have a question, Victoria. Had you had those signs or, you know, you were having the migraines. Mm -hmm. Had the doctors known about that? What could they have done to prevent the stroke? Oh, it's really scary because I was pregnant. Yeah. 
and uh I don't I asked my neurologist like I don't I don't know what we're gonna do he's like yeah maybe but, but it's hard because like do you do you want me to go and do these scans with the radiation and all that stuff mm-hmm. you know it's 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 I don't know I don't know if they would do anything or if they would you know mm-hmm. so yeah but those the but that but being able to like having these my not even just my brain my grains but not being able to see that's saying there's something wrong you know what I mean that should have been right away go and see so um I back in the day I used to think of that oh my god I like especially when I was like two and having a stroke I at first I'd get mad at myself and I was like but then it went away like 20 minutes and then I go over there and I was like oh I was gonna read for 20 minutes or I wasn't able to like like yeah read like what would they have done or you know would they have helped me or maybe not so I tried I was first I was upset about it but I don't know I guess I'm not <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. and, and just my experience working in the hospital and we would have people come in who had TIAs mm-hmm. and I feel like in this instance there's a good chance that even the doctors would have been like oh you're stressed you're overworking mm-hmm. Yeah. You haven't slept. You haven't right. slept. You're working in a high stressful career. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably pin it on you're healthy. You don't have, um, just state of diabetes. You don't have high blood pressure. You don't have anything wrong with your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. They'll probably, yeah, they'll probably just like you said, blaming it on my not sleeping and my stressful job. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is so sad for women, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, I mean, I couldn't imagine being a doctor and like taking care of someone who's pregnant because they're like, they can't do anything. What if they, something happens to the baby, you know what I mean? But I mean. And I was thinking like, even if they did identify it or suspect like a TIA, we, I remember I had a patient in the hospital who had a TIA, all of the symptoms had resolved and I believe they found something on the scan, but there wasn't anything that they could really do. And so they just mm-hmm. held her in the hospital, almost like we're just kind of waiting for that stroke yeah. to happen because they knew it was going to happen at some point. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Cause usually they give you like aspirin. You're not supposed to take aspirin when you're pregnant because that can cause mm-hmm. stuff for the baby. So mm-hmm. who knows what they're going to do. So, yeah. And I was thinking like you made it through you know, giving birth and that mm-hmm. body's under so much stress during that time and you made it through and, and, yeah. everything, you know, and McKenna was healthy and everything. So that, I think that's, that's really amazing that your body was able to do that. Even yeah. though it had this kind of underlying issue, right? Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So, um, so you kind of mentioned a little bit during that how you experience like not being able to respond um how did aphasia affect you in those those first days after your stroke and kind of how did it evolve um I cried a lot (laughs) um I was mostly afraid that I wasn't ever gonna I was afraid that obviously I know my kids my older kids they heard it but I was afraid that McKenna I wasn't ever gonna be able to tell her that I loved her like have her hear me Mm -hmm. and I just cried and cried and cried about that oh geez (laughs) but um so yeah I was scared at first um about 
I was like, you know, Olivia was only four. I was like, I have so much. And Tyler was 14. I was like, I have so much to teach them. Like, how am I going to teach them if I can't respond to them? Olivia doesn't even know how to read yet. Like, who's going to teach her how to read? Um, all that was going through my head. And then um, I I loved my job. Uh that I I knew what I was gonna do till since I was like sixth grade. I was like, I'm gonna be a nurse, I'm gonna be a NICU nurse. Uh, and I remember back then they're like, Oh, you're gonna feed babies, how to <laughs> I was like, that's not what NICU yeah, we do do that. Yes, we do, we do feed babies, <laughs> but we do like a lot of other stuff. So and it was my dream job. So uh I was afraid of not being able to go back. That scared me also. So, um, yeah, so that's, uh, I forgot what you said. That also happens sometimes. As far as like your speech, was there a period of time? Well, it sounds like while you were having, this, while this was going on, you weren't able to talk how long did that period last where you weren't able to say anything? Um, nothing. I remember I was in ICU for five days and, um, uh, my neurologist came in every single day and he had a pen in his pocket. He put, picked it up and he's like, what is this? And I was able to like, uh, charade it. Like, he's like, yeah, you're correct, but you have to say what it is. And I was so upset every single day he came in. I could not do it. And then, um, and then my husband, he um, turned on music and he put on a Jason Aldean song on, and I was able to sing like every word. Mm. And I was like, Oh my God. Me and my husband, both, my husband, like, was like so he like jumped up and I jumped up and then he's like can you say something and I was like like nothing <laughs> nothing came out <laughs> and I was like and then he's like then he's like you put another song I was able to sing that and I was like wow oh, I I do have a voice like it could come out you know but I still couldn't talk so I went to rehab same thing happened he uh the speech therapist gave me like a like a card that had like a toothbrush on it. Of course I could charade it and I still couldn't say it. But then if I was trying to say one, two, three, four, five, if I say one, two, but if I sung it, I could say it. So yeah, that happened. And then uh, when I went home, um, I could say like random words. Like I, TJ would ask me a question. That's my husband. Uh, I think of something or I try to think of like the, the like important, like the word that would like mean something, you know, I could maybe say that or like charade it um, probably like two months before I could say like a, like some, so people could like understand me. It wasn't a full sentence, mm-hmm. but I could say like words that meant something, even though it wasn't uh, like complete. Mm-hmm. you know yeah wow that's that's a long time yeah. I worked in when I was working at the hospital I also worked in the acute rehab department we would have people for you know usually like two weeks to a month mm-hmm. um and sometimes we would use 
music it's called melodic intonation mm-hmm. um just for in case our listeners don't know but um it's so interesting how mm-hmm. music is just organized differently you know like it's in a separate location in the brain to where mm-hmm. if you're, you're unable to to talk you know spontaneously but then when you add music or even just adding like a change of tone to it and then mm-hmm. it's able to come right out I think that's so incredible mm-hmm. um during those two months um how do you have anything that you want to share about kind of like how people communicated with you or how people didn't communicate with you or kind of what that felt like? Um, I think I was very lucky. Um, I had like my uh, NICU team. I had a few friends I was really close with. They came down and um, in rehab at my house. And of course, they're in the medical field, so they kind of understand what's going on. So, I mean, they they didn't make it awkward. They spent, like, you know, it was, I was lucky at that. And even my um, families and friends, I don't have anybody in my family that's in medical or anything like that, or my friends, except my nursing friends, but they would all just sit and uh, uh, try and have conversations and even though I was like uh, trying to find words, sometimes like, do you want me to help? And I would say no. And then I would try it. And then I'd be like, yes, I do want you. It was like, yeah, I do want you help. Like, okay. So it was nice that they like offered, do you want me to help or not? And I remember sometimes like my husband or my kids or my mom would, would try to help. And I'd be so annoyed. I'm like, stop. And they're like, okay, stop okay okay she doesn't want me to help right now so um yeah I think uh my friends and my uh family um they didn't like excuse it uh exclude me is that the right word Mm -hmm. exclude exclude yeah okay (laughs) exclude me from like conversations or anything like that I remember um, when I was getting more talkative and more talkative, probably one of my best friends, Keithy, and her sister, I went to, I met her since I was in seventh grade. And um, it was at her kid's birthday party. And she's like, uh, you're like finally coming back. I was a talker, 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 all the time. And I think when I had my stroke and aphasia, I just like, um, let other people talk and then I'd like uh, say what I needed to say and then I just like listen you know but you're getting back to yourself (laughs) don't you think it's better if I just be quiet (laughs) it's like no you're back to yourself I was like okay (laughs) god that must have felt pretty amazing yeah yeah uh in those in those times I mean it sounds like you had a really good support network Yes. And that's like the model of what people should do. You know, they should include you. You should be going to as many community events as possible. Mm-hmm. You should be, you know, just um, forced to, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. You should be, <laughs> you should, you should be able to either ask for help or reject the help is what I was yes. trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that sounds really good. But I'm wondering, was there one person who you felt like the most connected to in those times? Uh, I don't, I was crazy. So obviously husband and wife, they're like, you never listen to me. But when me and TJ, when I was going through that, he like knew it's like exactly what I was going to say. It was like the craziest stuff ever. And now I'm like, TJ, he's like, I can't read your mind. I was like, well, you used to. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so crazy. Like, um, like he knew, like when I was trying, like the doctors were really good and like he went to my appointments and I was trying to talk and then I would like charade it out kind of and like you'd see some people or even to my family I would like try to um like trade it out so I knew what I wanted to say not so they like they knew what I was trying to say so I can think of my mind this is what I want to say I'll do it so my mind can think of it you know but sometimes when I was uh my my husband just knew what I wanted to say and it helped me out it was crazy but not anymore (laughs) (laughs) that is amazing that's Uh Yeah, that's such an amazing feeling to have that sort of union with somebody where you know what each other mm-hmm. wants to say. Um, okay, this is kind of an off, off tangential question, but I've never asked this before to somebody with aphasia and apraxia. Can you feel the difference uh, between like your aphasia and your apraxia? Like to you, does that have a different feeling? Like when you're going to think of a word, you know which one's kind of affecting you in that moment? Uh, yeah, I remember working with you, I had troubles with like peas. And that's getting better, like, especially with like, like, when I know like a hard word, like my mouth, I'm like, like, yeah, I can feel like I could feel it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Probably maybe to you, probably not other people, but (laughs) I can imagine it. But of course, you know, as much as or like when I was trying to say excludes excludes that that was like I could feel like my like how I had to put my my mouth and my tongue like how that all worked together like I'd like think of that right 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 and then I was like is that is that is that the correct word you know um so yeah that that still happens but yeah it's I it's crazy. I think like people that have aphasia could probably understand or have apraxia also could understand that. But yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling because I've never had that before, before, uh, before my stroke, you know what I mean? I'm like, Oh, I don't know that word. I could say it again. But now I'm like, you have to like, Oh, like how your face moves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine that. I feel like I was working with someone recently and I don't know why I can't land on who it was specifically, but they also had aphasia and apraxia mm-hmm. and at times they would be able to tell me if it was more the sounds or if it was the whole word, which was, which was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, can, I, yeah. I, I experienced that sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. was there any time um like any time at all since you've had your stroke where you felt disconnected from other people 
because of your aphasia and apraxia. So, I mean, it sounds like your family, your family kind of could read your mind in a way and mm-hmm. if knew like what you were thinking or what you were feeling, I'm sure because they know you so well. And it sounds like mm-hmm. your friends too had that really good awareness. Mm-hmm. And I love what you mentioned about um, whoever it was, or if it was multiple people in your circle who would ask you if you wanted the help. I, I love that because a lot of times you don't want the help. You want to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like that, that kind of method, but um, any times that you felt disconnected or that you felt like um, people were treating you like, because you weren't able to communicate freely that they couldn't see you for like who you really were. I, I don't think so. Like I can't, I can't remember anything like that. I don't think so. Like even like strangers or like, I'm sorry. Was that even like strangers or like hospital? Oh yeah. Like I felt, I felt like people, I felt like, um, when I like going to Starbucks, I don't drink coffee, but I drink, uh, tea like chai Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) I was like uh chai tea latte saying that was so hard (laughs) and I'd be in line and they're like what do you want and I'm just staring at them and I was like just one second and they're just like looking at me like what is wrong and I was like just just I just need a moment they're like okay and they're just like what is wrong with this person right now? And I was, and then of course, they're probably not thinking that, but when you in yourself know that something's wrong, even though I, it probably took me like two minutes, two seconds to think of it, but you're thinking, oh my God, they're staring at me. And then like, there's no one in line, but they're waiting to take my order. And I'm like, oh my God. And then, yeah, that was, and then, you know, you just, think, I think there's, I think myself was thinking that, I mean, hopefully I didn't think that, I didn't, I didn't think I took too long, but who knows, mm-hmm. but yeah, and then finally I was like, I want to try tea latte, or sometimes if I thought I was taking too long, I was like, I know what I want, and I was like, that's probably worse, <laughs> <laughs> don't tell them that you know what you want, you just can't say it, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I mean, maybe that, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think anything like I don't know yeah yeah just doing that like ordering stuff or talking to people online or maybe actually um yeah that's it like just face to face like that that was probably I think I put myself under more stress than probably they did Mm -hmm. you know I just I think yeah I um you want to sound like normal yeah yeah no that I, I could totally imagine how hard that situation would be. And I, it made me think of how I've always dreamed of like making aphasia accessible spaces. Like what if our communities were just more aphasia friendly mm-hmm. and um, a coffee shop's a great example. Like, you know, if they had photos that you could point to or mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the only thing I can think of, you know, if they could, if they had photos on their menu and you could point to it exactly. And that mm-hmm. could be the interaction. It'd go so much more smoothly at times yeah. and, and people with aphasia will be like oh all I have to do is point mm-hmm. and they know what I want right not, we can still communicate and yeah 
It'd be it amazing. Was just, I think it's just like not being like that. I just felt like it was just more stress on me, I think. And just because a lot of my, especially when I was able to, I know that Izzy, you saw me when I was like a little like, uh, what's it, what do I say? Like dot, 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 how I used to talk, dot, dot, not like as smooth now, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But even that I just think like other people's like you can't even tell you can't even tell don't worry about it but but I I know I know that I'm not um how I used to be you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I think is it frustrating when people say that that they're not validating you for how difficult it is sometimes it is I know they're trying to do it like to be like you're doing so well but sometimes like yeah but I uh, sometimes some days aren't well, you know what I mean? Right. I'm not out there like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a bad day today. I can't, uh, find my word finding is pretty rough today, <laughs> but, um, yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh. I know, I know it's not because they're not, like, it's just because they want that. I think they're trying to be encouraging, you know? Right. But, but yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, go for it, Esty. Oh, sorry. I was just going to mention like a lot of people that I've worked with that have aphasia kind of say the same thing of like, yeah, I I know my speech is getting better, but like, it's not the same as how it used to be. And that's mm-hmm. still really, really significant to people, you mm-hmm. know? And um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's good to, to validate that. And, um, and I also feel like, sorry, this is going to go back to when we were talking about like the coffee shop and things like that. Oh, that's fine. But I think another factor in that is just more education on aphasia, because mm-hmm. I don't think that many people, if they're not in the medical field, or if they have never had anyone close to them who's had a stroke and experienced aphasia, then mm-hmm. they would have no idea what it is or what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, well, I didn't know. I know I worked with adults for like two years. Mm hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I don't learn that in nursing school. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn it when I worked. I didn't work in a neuro unit, but still mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about that. And then I worked with kids and I, I was, I had some kids that obviously had strokes, but they weren't able to talk because they were newborns, but still I had no idea. So, and still working in the hospital, I see nurses all the time. Like, I don't, I don't, they don't know what it is, you know? So, and there's a lot of people that have it. It's insane. Like after I had it, like realizing how many people in the world that have it or in the United States and nobody knows what it is it's insane yeah I should say here it's more aphasia is more common than Parkinson's aphasia is more common than ALS Mm -hmm. but those diseases are so well known yep it's it's insane obviously because we're like in it your careers or I have it um and now my friends and family know you know what I mean but otherwise I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, if I had a patient, I'm like, oh, what's a favorite? I'll Google that really quick. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um, you know, it t- this is reminding me of like how we call aphasia and apraxia, like invisible illnesses. Yes. Especially for, for you, Victoria, because you don't have any remaining physical deficits. Yeah. Does it? Would- yeah. Go ahead. Just talk about that, how it's like, it, it is invisible for you. People yeah, think, oh, she's because, walking. She's good. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, when I first had my stroke, I, um, when they got me out of bed, I had to use a walker 
Um, my balances, I'm my balance is still ooh, not, I mean, it's okay, but not back before, but, um, when I went to rehab, I did like PT and OT and they're like, oh, you're fine. Like your balance is a little off, but you're not going to fall down. Um, so I went to rehab and I pretty much thought it was a waste of time to be honest, because I think rehab is mostly for PT and OT. And stuff like that. I went there and like I did speech therapist with the speech therapy like uh, once a day, even though that was like wiped me out. But um, that's it. They're like, oh, you're going home, even though I couldn't say anything. Like, you're right. doing great. And I was like, I still can't talk. Like, you're doing great. You'll do your speech therapy at home. You're doing great. I was like, what were you talking about? I still can't say anything. I have a family, I have kids, literally can't say anything. So you're doing great. Go home. Cool. That's the most frustrating thing I'm sure that patients face and that a speech therapist face is that the medical model does follow this like, oh, you're walking, you're safe yep. to go home, you're ambulatory, like mm-hmm. all done, all done with rehab. Yep. And, and it's like, what about cognition? Pants? What about yeah. language? What about speech? Yeah. You can put on your pants and you're not going to fall down. Go home. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, it just blew my mind. I think after having it, like, yeah, it, this whole like that whole experience just blew my mind. I was like, I can't. Every time I say that, people are like, no way. I was like, yeah, that's what happens if you can get dressed, if you can not burn yourself. Mm-hmm. Cooking a pot of water, you're good to go. That's what they had me do. They had me make a um, a cake one day, and they had me make my bed. And they had me, I was to do, um, yeah, like stand on one leg. Obviously I couldn't because my right side was way weaker. It's obviously better now, but before I, you know, they had me like bounce a ball and stand on one leg or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. but I could do it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And they say, they'll say like, oh, you can get speech therapy at home, but yeah. home health speech therapy, you're not going to be getting that five days or seven days mm-hmm. a week that like you could in yeah. acute rehab um, yeah yeah Monday Wednesday Friday here's your homework yeah. <laughs> it's insane so yeah it was uh yeah there's a lot of stuff I don't know that needs to happen with like yeah like you said cognition speech all that stuff but that's super important I think if people are like But I think people just take it for granted because like everybody like, oh, that's normal, you know, like, oh, people, you know, like, I don't know. I think they, I don't know. They're just not used to it, I guess, maybe. Because when, when we're working with adults, we're like, oh, this person is unsteady and they're going to fall. They have to go to a skilled nursing facility or rehab. Mm -hmm. We don't go, oh, this person can't talk. They need to go to a skilled nursing facility or rehab. We never talk about that. Mm -mm. Never. I also think that a lot of doctors, if they see someone with a very severe apraxia and aphasia, they assume that it's not going to get better. Um, I had like, I was reading a a doctor's like progress note the other day and um, it was talking about how like, oh, this, this patient had a stroke two months ago. Um, they're not really making a lot of progress now. So like, I don't see any progress being made. And it's like two months is really quick. Like there's so much room for progress to be made, but yeah. there's yeah. 
I like to make fun of my neurologist <clears throat> because I remember when that, and I was like, um, we went in and I was able, and I know TJ me like got, I was at speech therapy at home and I went for a follow-up and I was like, you know, is my speech going to get better? He's like, yeah, it will, as long as you keep practicing. He's like, but you at, um, you have like a year, year and a half, and that's where you're going to be. He's like, do as much as you can. And he's like, if you get, is that three, that's probably where you're going to be, you know? And I know that's research-based, evidence-based practice, you know, but there's no way. Because if you, a year and a half, I was still stuttering. My word finding was way slower. You know what I mean? And I was like, obviously I'm a young person, I was like 31 at that, but still like, that's just such like a, like a handicap. You're like, Oh, that's all you have, you mm -hmm. know? But I was like, no, if you keep working hard or, you know, keep doing your homework, keep having conversations and good, lucky for me, my friends and family continue to have conversations. They, I wasn't isolated at all. So I had that, you know, to help me. And I was still, they still invited me to stuff, even though sometimes I thought it was awkward, but they didn't. And they're like, Oh, it's my friend. And I try to talk and, nobody thought it was weird so I was able to practice but yeah I was like every time I was like hey Dr. Deeple am I talking better than a year and a half he's like stop because <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's based on like very old research that's yeah. like 50 years ago and there is new the research that is showing like even decades after a stroke you're making progress yeah as yeah. long as you're Still not like in a cocoon at home and not doing anything. You're making new connections, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this. Oh, I, yeah. Sorry. I was just going to mention, like, I think, you know, maybe it's hard for doctors to see or, or for people to measure because you are going to have your ups and downs throughout mm -hmm. that time. You're going to have times of plateauing, but it's like across that time, you can continue to make those. those yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just, I was just going to say it's so bothersome that that doctors say that because I think it, it produces so much anxiety in mm -hmm. the, Oh, for it, sure. Right. Yep. To be like, I have to do it all in a year. And now it's a year. Like I, I know for me, like with patients, that one year mark is really emotional for so mm -hmm. many reasons, but I think that's part of it is like, mm -hmm. they're like, this is it. Yeah. If I'm and not, like, if I'm not like talking how I'm supposed to, cause I'm going to talk forever. Right. It's and I, yeah, just to set the record straight, aphasia progress is lifelong, you know, mm -hmm. neuroplasticity is forever, you can change the brain and, and exactly like you're saying, Victoria, like if you're, that's why isolation with aphasia is such a, such a devastating thing, because mm -hmm. if you are more social and you are more, you're putting yourself out there mm -hmm. for you, you're working, like you're constantly practicing talking. So mm -hmm. progress just continues to be made. So that's why aphasia centers are just like, such amazing yeah. Places, right yeah they don't and I know off. it's gonna be like hard because I was I was so embarrassed and like a lot of like my like one of my best friends Keithy or my friend Anna um their family we've all known each other since we were little and their families knew me when I was little so like even talking to them they were even though I talked really slow um they uh they still like were able to like talk with me, even though, and then, and then I remember like, you just have, she's going to talk slow, but it's okay. And they're like, okay, that's fine. It's fine. I like they're preparing. I was like, <laughs> you guys, it's okay. 
but yeah, it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult, but you know, just trying to talk to other people, because I think like at home we have like same conversations, you know, or like something, Oh, how was your work? How was school? I did this today. You did that. But like, if me and you, Izzy had a conversation, we're going to talk about different things because we don't see each other every day. And I don't see my friend's mom every day. So I think it's good to have conversations, not with the people you see every day, to have conversation with people you don't see every day, because those are the hardest for me. Because I'm like, oh my God, now I have to think of other words, you know? Yes. And that's why I wanted to, I I was thinking of that when Esty was mentioning how it's so hard to measure progress. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is a struggle with our job as speech language pathologists is like communication is so hard to define and so hard to pin down. Like exactly Mm -hmm. what you're saying, Victoria, somebody might get really accustomed to their, even like at in, in acute rehab, they're really used to what they do, their daily mm-hmm. schedule there. And then you go home and the challenges are so much different. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like you go on a vacation and then it's completely different. So yeah. it's, that's how it is with communication. Like when new situations arise, your communication is challenged in new ways. So it's, it's really hard to measure and say, you're not making any progress if you're in so many different situations yeah. and your challenges are unique every day, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's correct for sure. Yeah. I just say like, you know, it's so hard. Oh, I hated it, but just go and talk to people. <laughs> Even like, um, uh, like texting other people, you know, like, Oh, this friend I haven't talked to him. Like, like, Hey, what's up? I was like, Oh, I haven't talked to you in a long time. And then just, they have their life is different than mine. I was like, Oh, you know, and then we we're talking about their lives. And just, yeah, just, just other words you have to use. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's why like, yeah, just going to plug Fabi Hirsch crew. Yeah, I know. And her whole like cast program that we worked in is, you know, it's like putting that stuff on the calendar. So you say, Hey, Jessica, we're going to text every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Hey brother, we're going to have a phone call about this TV show every Friday. Um, Hey, you know, like, and then me, my own promise, I'm going to go to a coffee shop every, every week and practice this. So you're just getting that variety. Mm-hmm. So important. And I do think as speech language pathologists, we should be setting that up for people to where we're building their network of people that they have around them to practice conversation. Yeah. With like uh, different interests, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So for people who don't really know what aphasia recovery looks like or what speech therapy looks like, can you tell us a little bit about what therapy looked like for you? Like what were your goals? What was your homework? What were you doing? I know you had multiple therapists, but yeah, um, it was very frustrating. (laughs) Not what, what, what with uh, my therapist, but just like doing it. Right. Cause it was just, it was super hard. Um, I had, I mean, I had to do, I didn't know, I just learned everything. I, I didn't know my ABCs, numbers, months, like, I, I didn't know anything. So I had to do all that, you know, I remember Olivia went to kindergarten and I was practicing her slight words with her. You know what I mean? Like that, like on the days I didn't have speech therapy, me and Olivia were practicing her sight words and Olivia's like, Olivia's like such a good advocate for me. She's so sweet. She's like, mom, I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm tired. 
mom, it just likes therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, mom, you have to do it, mom. Okay, Olivia, I have to do it. You're right. That's okay. What is this? <laughs> I don't know. So she said the word, I say the word, or you know. So, and then um, I had three. I had my um home health one that was like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, I kind of forgot. They had stuff online, and he had like um yeah like you know just words or abcs we like stuff like that did stuff like that and then my other one before I met you guys before she moved um we did what was it called um oh like words um like just to find words like oh like what was it fine oh f all what, what starts with f all, I could say like fan that's it like nothing else came to my head like mm-hmm. fan and it's like what else and I'm like, I don't know so like doing ABCs we went like from A to Z and try to do words like just come up with words and then um just like uh strategies okay are you okay I I buy my cheese okay you okay? No, I'm just crunching this. Okay, let's not crunch that then. You okay? Yeah. Okay. It's like I crunch my tooth. <laughs> That's how you chew. <laughs> <laughs> um, I forgot what I was going to say. You were saying... Uh, oh, yeah. Like, strategy. We came up with strategies. Like, I had a... I was... I would get so frustrated with spell because I was maybe I was able to say sentences and I was a, wasn't able to say like a one one word and like just like how to talk around the word so people knew what I was saying and then eventually I'd be able to say the word. Like we worked on strategies right. for word finding and to be able to c- communicate what word I was trying to say, advocating for if I want you to help or not help. Um and stuff like that. And then when I was with you, obviously my speech was better when I met you. And um, my goal was uh, to get my speech more fluid, spelling and reading and writing with you because um, I wanted to go back to work. Yeah, that was really cool that I got to see that journey with you of like, yeah. let's get back to work. And you did it. Yeah. So proud. Yeah, thanks. I was excited too. You helped a lot. I did a lot. <laughs> You did. We would do like, can I tell people? Yeah. We would do mock documentation mm-hmm. for hospitals. And we would do, we were practicing words like, oh gosh, what? Like preeclampsia and yeah. like, like weird words, like really uses. Yeah. Like really hard words. We were spelling those words. And yeah, like we were timing you on how long you were taking to do your documentation so that it would be like a realistic, you know, goal to you for you to go back to work. And then because that's all you do in the hospitals, you know, that's like the goal. Yeah. And then we made like, we came up with workplace accommodations that Mm -hmm. we bring to the table. So yeah, super proud of you. You worked Mm -hmm. really hard and yeah, I still use a lot of uh, my strategies from you and my other speech therapists, like, oh, especially like with like months, 
you know, like with my finger, I use that all the time. People don't know what I'm doing, but they don't even notice. At first I was like, so like anxious that like seeing me spell things, but sometimes I do it like they can't even see. And I was like, oh, and then I say the word, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when you spell on the table. Yeah. Like finger spelling. Yes. Finger spelling. I do that all the time, especially with months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, we worked on right and left, so I still get, like, confused with what I knew, and my, I still say, like, when I'm driving with TJ, I was like, turn left, and I point, he's like, that's not left, and I was like, just point where my finger's going. Yeah, go, follow the finger. <laughs> yeah, the not finger, not my, he's like, okay, so, I mean, it's getting better, but not when I drive, no. No. So, okay. <laughs> okay, so, Victoria, this is a question that we're asking all of our guests. What do you think is the key to connection? Um, I think just be open. Um, I know there's a lot, lot of times where I was like, I just don't want to talk. I don't want to. This is hard. Like, this is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. I thought nursing school was the hardest thing I ever did, but it's not. <laughs> I wouldn't do it again. But, um yeah it's just I think every day is a is a fight to try to communicate um and just be open just do it just be open and um just have the conversations you don't want to because um it's just going to help you I think you know and not to me see some like other people and get new perspectives but just be open to to anything and just yeah, I think that's what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. No, that's so important. I think that's, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. I'm not going to say anything profound here, but just like, yeah, being open, pushing yourself, showing yeah. up, uh-huh. being there. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not gonna go, yeah. I'm not going to go crazy, but I think I have uh, children, you know, and I think I think they were a motivator also, obviously. Um, Cause there was hard days and sometimes they're like, I don't want to do anything. But then I know they had like, I have a schedule. I have to do this and this, you know? So I was like, I know one day they're like, I don't want to do that. Cause I'm tired. Well, guess what? I had to do it. Cause I was tired too. <sighs> you know, you're just going to get better. Even though it's hard, it's going to be better. You know? So I was just trying, I don't know. I don't know if that's what you're saying, but obviously there's a motivation for them to see also, you know, yeah, for my kids. Mm-hmm. So. Was there anything, anything else you'd like to share? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I just want to say thanks to you. You helped me so much. Oh, thanks to know. you. I, I mean, I'm so honored to be part of your experience in your journey. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I really enjoyed working with you. Like, um, I, like I said, I still use a lot of strategies that I learned, um, <sighs> that were like, I use all the time. So yeah, I'm, I'm thankful. I love speed therapists. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, who's that? What do they do? Oh, well, they're very important. 
<laughs> well, we love good nurses. Like yeah. you're a really, really good nurse. So thanks. So. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's so good to see you and talk yeah, to you again. You too. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Key to Connection podcast. You can connect with us on Instagram at the Key to Connection podcast. DM us if you'd like to join in on the conversation or have an idea for our next topic or guest. Tune in on Thursdays for new episodes.